Hey ladies and gents, welcome to the Controlled Interest Gamecast, episode 253. I'm your host, Jared White. As always, I'm joined by my co-host, Dominic Orlando. Joining you from September 1st, mind you, which which is a lot of things. It's it's football season, first and foremost. It's fall, not technically, but whatever. And it's, I guess it's fall TV season too. At least for us, it feels like we're feasting on good shows. <clears throat> yeah, it's a good time to be all right. I think this is the first time I forgot to say, you know, on this podcast, we cover video games and everything happening in the industry. Usually I have that at the beginning, but I mm. forgot this time. But hey, first time for everything. And yeah, plenty of TV stuff going on. We got Game of Thrones. Well, House of the Dragon, but obviously it's in the realm of Game of Thrones. So we got a, the day we're recording the September 1st, uh, Lord of the Rings Rings of Power comes out tonight, which I'm really excited for. Um, most expensive show ever made. So and from what I've read, uh, in terms of the production, it's... It, it, the budget is obvious, so I can't wait to watch that and see. Um, yeah, we've got an interesting show here. We're going to be talking about a bunch of stuff. Uh, so let's hop right in. First up, in the rundown, uh, we have a new Mafia game in development. So during an interview celebrating the Mafia franchise's 20th anniversary, Hangar 13 announced that an all-new Mafia project is in the works, but is, quote, a few years away. Now, obviously neither of us are huge Mafia people, Dom, uh, we're kind of familiar with Mafia 3 because that was a topic of conversation uh, during the time in which we've done the podcast for several reasons, one of which being uh, the lack of commercial success and critical success that game saw. People talked about how it was an interesting setting. It was took place in New Orleans in the South, and uh, obviously it had an African-American uh, protagonist. For me, Dom, I think my hope for this is that it's a series like Soft Reboot, I uh, hope it's not Mafia 4. I hope it's just Mafia something. And I think that would have a better chance to get people in because I would be more interested, honestly. Um, obviously, sure, they can release Mafia 4 and say it doesn't you know, attach to any of the previous games. But I think for general audiences, not having that number attached makes it more welcoming. Would you agree? Yeah. Um, <clears throat> I know they just did like a remake of the first game, I believe. That the Definitive looked... Edition? Yeah. Yeah. That always like I remember seeing clips and it looked really good, but I never, I never got more curious than that to try it out, and I certainly never yeah tried out two or three. So yeah, I think it does. It makes it more inviting to to new people. I think you're right. If if they don't continue on with the numbers, um, you know, how I don't know if it's gonna if there's anything much that they could do to grab someone like me personally, but um, I guess. If it if it got you and then you told me to play it, then I'd be like, yeah, okay, I'll try it out. That's yeah, that's the, or that's I mean, the if the general did. consensus when it came out right is that it was like nine out of ten, nine point five out of ten, like it was that good. Right, yeah. Uh, and hopefully there's a good budget behind it. Um, my hope is that regardless of if it's like a soft reboot or if it's Mafia Four, that Hangar Thirteen and Two K put the original three, uh, whether that's the OG version of one or the definitive edition on like game pass and, uh, PS plus, uh, in like a marketing push before the game comes out. I think that'd be really smart. It'd give me a chance to hop in because like you said, the definitive edition of it looks cool, but it's much easier for me to download and try it out. If it's already included on the service I pay for, as opposed to paying more money for it, regardless if it's constantly on sale. So. Yeah. And that's where it's tough. Cause it was a PS Plus game that I know I had redeemed, and I don't even think I ever even downloaded it. So maybe I should have. The third game, that is, was on PS Plus. Yeah. And, yeah, that, I don't know. We'll, we'll see. Mafia is an interesting series, and I do think it has a chance to, like, capture a bigger audience. I think they just need to absolutely nail it because, first of all, the franchise name isn't all that inspiring. Like, you have Grand Theft Auto, and... Though they're not similarly like the same, just calling a series Mafia is kind of bland in a way. Um, and then on top of it, I think you have to nail the narrative aspects of that because the gameplay can only go so far because it's rooted in so much realism, you know, of it being like actual happenings throughout, obviously fictitious versions of the stuff that happened in history, but like you're not going to have a Mafia member with like superpowers or like, you know what I mean? So you kind of have to nail the narrative aspects of it and make the gameplay engaging in some aspect so we'll see what happens but like they said it's years away so we can ruminate on the idea of what the next mafia is but we don't know uh which is interesting because 2k as a publisher outside of like nba 
uh, I think their next big release we're hoping for is what the new Bioshock, right? Oh yeah, we're hoping. Whew. Yeah, by Cloud Chamber. So, um, speaking of a developer, we hope their game is good. Uh, that's the best segue I had. Uh, Quantic Dream got purchased. So, Quantic Dream developers of Detroit Become Human and the upcoming Star Wars Eclipse. Uh, and many other games, has been acquired by Chinese tech giant NetEase. Nothing was announced in regard to leadership change or the future of David Cage with the studio. For those uh, for the uninitiated, Quantic Dream faced allegations in recent years of a toxic workplace said to consist of things like crunch culture, offensive and inappropriate emails and jokes and comments. And then uh, Quantic Dream actually responded by suing the French publications uh, reporting these stories about the supposed workplace issues. Um, one thing I didn't realize, and maybe we had talked about on the podcast, Dom, is NetEase already owned a part of Quantic Dream. This is kind of them like yeah. scooping them up and finishing the job. Interesting that there's no say about leadership change with David Cage. If I was Star Wars or NetEase, I'd be a, a little bit hesitant about this in terms of Star Wars in, investing, giving their IP to them, and then obviously NetEase purchasing them. Do you think it's like a very tight rope for him and like the culture there? I think think they're giving him the benefit of the doubt for now, but if anything were to happen, it's like you're gone. Yeah, you would like to think. I mean, what's been happening though, right? Because a lot of those reports were like, this is how it is here on a regular basis, right? So have things improved since that stuff came out? It's hard to imagine, at least certainly not to the extent which they need to improve um so it's not to me it's like stuff is probably still shitty there as a place to work you know for chunks or you know certain types of people there so it's it's like if there's another report about it of something specific that comes out um i don't know Uh, i just part of me kind of hopes that this game the star wars game specifically eclipse is just way far out or even to be honest i don't want to say like i hope it gets canceled or something but like i just dread the day of having to make that decision of like "Ah, should i play this should i support this guy and that whole thing that a lot of people are doing right now with hogwarts legacy right so yeah i i would hope that i would assume and hope that yeah they're on a short leash as far as uh (laughs) Yeah, what what's going on over there, and how Star Wars and NetEase and all their stakeholders are concerned. I mean, so if I was a studio lead, or even if I was part of like the team at NetEase managing their like their publishing house, or the you know the people that run over like look over their developers, I would honestly, obviously, look into the company, see if the culture has changed, and if it has, leading up to the game's announcement or release, I would have journalists come in and uh anonymously interview staff and because if it has turned around get those stories of good faith and everything turning around it's that way when this game does come to fruition people like you aren't sitting there having to make that choice like we know that it's changed you know what i mean i think that'd be good for the game that that'd be my plan obviously that's asking a lot considering studios especially somebody like david cage doesn't seem like the type of person that wants people going in there and, 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 you know, investigating. But if you are working to turn things around, they could use a positive PR to any capacity, you know? Yeah, I I, I mean, I know you know this, but I'm going to say that's very naive <laughs> of a hope. Because someone, I mean, think about David Cage, right? At this point, I don't know how old this guy is, but he's a full-grown adult who has, you know, made a lot of critically acclaimed games, probably made a lot of money, um just doesn't strike me as the type of person who's just going to actually admit to you know admit to having a shitty culture at his his workplace let alone actually trying to change it i mean instead they're just suing that that journal that journalist or whatever that site was or whatever so like <laughs> it just doesn't and I, i'm looking well. at it from like star wars netties perspective you know not necessarily yeah. a quantic dream from the top yeah. down um but like if when you're looking at like the pure numbers and the business aspect of it, that's a smart business mm-hmm. move for them to do to give the the you know optics of that developer they just spent money on a, a facelift of sorts. But we'll see what happens. I mean, um, he's just got to go. Sometimes it's like some people aren't going to change. And if you really want 
everything else to survive like you just guys like that gotta go he'll be fine you know i'm sure he's loaded and whatever exactly and it is weird because quantic dream always felt like a studio playstation should have bought long ago right they just yeah the relationship they had but it seems like yeah there was a reason they probably didn't for one reason or another Maybe. that's it yeah and yeah and now netty's purchased them who's a chinese company and i don't want to sound xenophobic but like between tencent and netty's they aren't necessarily companies who strike confidence for me uh in terms of people buying stuff and it is a hesitancy of just the unknown of they have so much money but they're not as familiar to gaming audiences as the bigger publishers were familiar with so i kind of want to give them the benefit of the doubt but also i am a little bit worrisome a story i didn't include this week is that uh who it was tencent and playstation now have a cumulative ownership of 30 percent of from software that's right which is kind of crazy yeah. uh tencent's at 16 and playstation is at 14 um i'm sure they both would have loved to get more um, exactly but couldn't for whatever reasons yeah so yeah, it's it's always worrisome, but you know it's it, it, I like I said I don't want to come across xenophobic because when you talk about these American companies, it's like oh we're a little bit more familiar, it's okay, and then with these these Chinese companies, it's like oh be fearful, and that might not not actually be the case. We just have to wait and see for better or worse. Uh, next up, a new Assassin's Creed was revealed. Dumb. Well, it was leaked, and then Ubisoft's like take down all the photos. We'll reveal it ourselves a couple of hours later. So this is from uh, Ryan Dinsdale over IGN. Ubisoft has officially unveiled Assassin's Creed Mirage following the leak earlier on September 1st. I'm going to interject here. We talked about this leak like weeks ago too. This has been a rumbling forever. Uh, So their tweet read, Assassin's Creed Mirage is the next Assassin's Creed game. We can't wait to tell you more on September 10th at Ubisoft Forward at 9 p.m. Eastern Standard Time. If that date sounds familiar, that's the day after the Marvel Disney Games Showcase. So hopefully we can get a good weekend of announcements there. Uh, so a new image of the game was revealed in that tweet, showing presumably the protagonist rumored to be Assassin's Creed Valhalla's Basim, which we talked about before. Uh, and he looks like he's assassinate, dropping in on assassination. The rumors have suggested this is much closer in both structure and gameplay to uh, the original like first three Assassin's Creed games, Dom. And that has me excited. Uh, I like the RPG open world that Assassin's Creed has evolved into, but I also enjoy the classic way in which Assassin's Creed was designed. And I would love if we enter a place in which we get the big Assassin's Creed open world titles, but alongside them, ever so often, we do get these smaller, vintage, classic Assassin's Creed experiences. Um, what do you What do you think? Is there any way Assassin's Creed can pull you in would it be this smaller scoped title or how do you feel about this project? Yeah, I think for me, like the the most enjoyment I got of out of Assassin's Creed or yeah, the first couple games, I don't know. I, I think I look forward to that gameplay again. So so yeah, like like more focusing on stealth and um combat and less so on some of the, like the RPG elements in the bigger world and that kind of stuff. Like I think I'd be more into that. <clears throat> uh that being said, uh not Valhalla, but the one in Greece was called Odyssey. Odyssey, of course. Um, the best part about that game was the protagonist, Cassandra. Uh, like she was great. And a lot of the other characters were great too, yeah, and all that kind of stuff. So, like, if this game, you know, also has a cool protagonist. Even looking back, the first game, the protagonist was just kind of a guy. And the second game, though, like, is when we start with Ezio, and Ezio was was fantastic as well. So I think that's a big part of it too, not just necessarily the change in uh, the gameplay or the the structure, how the game is structured, all that kind of stuff. But I hope that it also has uh, like a cool protagonist again, and uh, that more than anything is what would draw me in. But it also like, I'm yeah, I'm, as days go by, as I get older, uh, smaller games are a little bit easier to digest in general. So probably that's more what you're asking, maybe. But uh, I look forward to that instead of you know what i think chris was talking about having spent over 100 hours in valhalla some kind of something like that so yeah i think the intimacy of those other games is cool because one problem i've seen in the modern assassin's creed titles is that sure you can technically assassinate targets but it doesn't feel as rewarding um whereas like when i remember playing the Ezio trilogy in the original assassin's creed 
you felt the kill. Uh, shout out to Michael Huber of Easy Allies. You felt the kill, and it felt like a like I said before, an intimate connection because there is a reason you're going after the specific person, and it did rely more on stealth. One thing I may be in the minority on this, Dom. Do you remember the OG Assassin's Creed multiplayer? It was so fun. Uh, yeah, very underrated. Yeah, it was basically it'd be like you know six assassins on the same map and you would get a target on your screen. Everyone would have a target to kill out of all the players, and you would have to like hide in the crowds and try to kill each other. It was really fun. Uh, it didn't last very long in terms of the uh, titles they put it in, but very underrated. I doubt it'll come back, but maybe one day to some capacity. Uh, one thing I wanted to mention, too, the setting of this game is going to be in Baghdad, which is cool. It's not uh -oh. normally a, a setting yeah. we get, uh, so that's going to be super interesting. Um, yeah, I just want to see more of this game, and what the scope and the gameplay focus is, because uh, I do think it'd be rather successful for a lot of people yearning for not only smaller titles these days, but classic Assassin's Creed, because that's that community for that franchise is pretty divided of people who want what Assassin's Creed was and people who enjoy the modern take on it. So we'll see what happens. Hopefully, uh, I don't. I I need to look into it. I don't know if, for clarification if the Ubisoft Forward is specifically about this game or if it's actually Ubisoft Forward. Um, I'll have to look into that. I'm hoping it's the, the latter, so maybe we can get some announcements. One of the things I, uh, a little, uh, you know, uh, tinfoil hat theory I have, Dom, is with this happening the day after the Marvel game showcase, I wonder if maybe we get an additional look at a Ubisoft, Disney, Marvel game that gets shown the previous day. Interesting, interesting. I maybe so. a Star Wars title, <laughs> perhaps. Uh, maybe, maybe. Yeah, Yeah, we'll see. Or the balls. Not getting my hopes do. up. Yeah. Speaking of getting your hopes up, Dom, is it the Legend of Zelda Month of Dreams in September 2022? According to both GamesBeat's managing editor Mike Minotti and Giant Bomb's Jeff Grubb, a Nintendo Direct presentation focused on announcements related to the Legend of Zelda is set to take place in September of 2022. Minotti of GamesBeat went on to clarify, To be clear, guys, the only thing we are very, very sure of is being announced at this Direct are the Wind Waker and Twilight Princess ports for Switch. Jeff Grubb, then, Jeff Grubb then added, yeah, I think there's going to be a lot of Zelda stuff at this thing. I think this is like a Zelda blowout for Nintendo. 100% there's a Nintendo Direct in September. That's, it's that simple. There is still some uncertainty about whether this will be a general Direct, maybe a mini. There was some talk of it being a partner Direct as well. End quote. So it seems like they're I didn't hear any of this. Oh, man. Oh, really? <laughs> Shocking news, Dom. <laughs> Wonderful news. So, ah. Well, and the oh. fact that they're saying for sure Wind Waker and Twilight are like the floor of what we can uh, assume right. is there. Obviously, the dream is Breath of the Wild 2 gets a, a title at the very least, maybe not yeah. a date. We can see uh, a little more of it. That'd be cool, of course. My hope would be maybe a remake from the team who did Link's Awakening or just a 2D Zelda t uh, title announcement as well would be awesome. Uh, maybe uh, what's the the rhythm game? Did that get a sequel yet? Cadence Hyrule. Cadence of Hyrule. Yep. It did not get a sequel. It got a little bit of DLC that I never messed with that I've been meaning to go back for. But no, that would be cool. A sequel to that or something. I think I predicted something like this, where a different indie studio would uh take on another Zelda game or something. I can't remember what I said. Uh, my other hope would be that if it's not necessarily Zelda focused, maybe we could get the Metroid Prime Trilogy announcement release too. So it's like the two Zelda games plus that, that'd be fun as well. I'm just thinking of like thematically how they could pair them. My personal pie in the sky is if it's a partner direct, Silk Song, please give us a date. Yeah. The weird on. thing is, remember, it was in, it was in the Xbox showcase saying that everything was coming out in the next 12 months. So it's seemingly coming out before next June. Right. So it's like, that could have been a mistake, I guess. Where like they no, forgot. I don't think so. But that seems unlikely that they would let something like that slip. They know that that's specifically a, a, something people are really looking forward to. So I doubt that they would screw something like that up. Yeah, and you know, usually we get uh, individual Pokemon directs, but I hope we get some new tidbit of information since this will be like a month before or two months before the new Pokemon titles. We'll see. Oh, yeah. But it's cool that they're like, yeah, the base is we're getting Wind Waker and Twilight Princess because. I never played uh, the remake of Wind Waker that came out on, what, the Wii U? Was that mm -hmm. where it came out? Well, yeah, I never had a chance to play that. 
And I never was interested in playing Twilight Princess because it was so divided. And wasn't that the one with motion controls as well, right? Uh, not necessarily. So, because it came out on GameCube and Wii. So okay. if you got it on Wii, it had like motion controls, like not hardly. You could sit down and play it. Yeah. You know, that kind of stuff. So, and I guess people are excited too because with the Wind Waker remake, you don't have to worry about the dumb tablet thing that the Wii U had. You could just, it'll be on one screen for us and you don't have to worry about that. So, so did they mention like if it would be ports of those Wii U games that were the remasters or of like the originals do they, they have good question kind of... i don't know i think the assumption everyone's making is the wii u ones but Which knowing nintendo why... <laughs> it could totally be the ogs exactly that's why i worry about is um that would significantly lessen my excitement for it because then it's like that's just different that's just not quite as cool because uh, those rem- the remasters were really well done and uh that would be the way to do it in either case though these are $60 individually priced, I imagine, right? Like, Not if they're the original ones. Yeah, okay, fair. I, I guess that would be asking a lot. Especially we just got like that Mario collection with with Galaxy and Sunshine and 64. I could see 60 for, for both of them. Yeah, that's Wii U version. Because I think even if it's a Wii U version, I don't think they can sell them 60 individually. I mean, they oh, can. For it's sure Nintendo. they will. For sure they will. Let's make a bet then. Oh, okay. Like be- so I'm betting that they're packaged together for sixty, and the you're Wii saying U no. Okay. Yes. I'll the, say the, the yeah the Wii U versions, but they're individually uh, sixty dollars. Okay, and uh, if I win the bet, you have to start. Whenever you have an opening for a next game to play, you have to finally start Backbone. Oh yeah. Okay. Time with me. Or I'm packing. I'll give you an option. But you have to start one of them when you lose the bet. What's my parameters? I I got it. I got it. If if I lose, I have to commit to at least watching the first season of Better Call Saul. Okay, perfect. Yeah. Yeah. Because I am eventually going to get around to it, but it'll give me the the reason to, like, no, you have to start it now. So I think that's Same for me. Like, I literally have backbone downloaded on my xbox i just haven't gotten to it yet so yeah that's that's a good one and i'm I'm so the way it'll work is you start backbone if you don't like it for any reason play unpacking i think that's the way it work okay. make it work sure. so it's like a similar investment for both of us okay bet aside let's get to the topic of the show i want to talk about this last of us part one conundrum so <laughs> i'm going to read through this and then we can talk through it so the last of us part one was released this week uh september 2nd we're recording on september 1st uh, and there are dozens of conversations surrounding this game. Some focus on the idea of calling it a remake and how some believe it's much closer to a remaster. The topic of its price, that being $70, and if it's too steep a number for what the game is. It also currently sits at an 89 on Metacritic, which is the lowest score any iteration of the game has received. For reference, the original is at a 95, and the remastered version is also a 95. Uh, so I wanted to have a discussion about how we feel... Are, uh, what are the errors PlayStation and Naughty Dog made and what we feel are the solutions or changes that could have been made to alleviate the conversation happening on the internet right now regarding the release of this game? We're not necessarily talking about the quality of the game itself. It's like the weird decisions that led to messed up optics for the game and all of that. A lot of the reviews just have me chuckling. Like, yeah, this, I mean, this is ultimately a masterpiece 10 out of 10 game. But I don't really recommend paying $70 for it. <laughs> kind of weird stuff like that. Exactly. And, you know, the whole conversation about the responsibility of the consumer, like, you can't sit there and be critical of this decision and then go out and buy it. Like, you know what I mean? It's like that whole story about how the, the uh, what is it, um, boycott Call of Duty group on Steam. And then they went the day of Call of Duty's release and looked at the group and everybody on that Steam group was playing Call of Duty, the new Call of Duty. It's really funny. Uh, You know, words are hollow without action, which is a quote I recently heard on from the coach of the Chicago Bears, which has a really good quote, words are hollow without action, which is true. And money Uh, talks. Exactly. (laughs) Lastly, how does this all sit with us knowing that a bundle collecting both the PS5 versions of the two games will likely see a release in the coming years, likely near the premiere of the HBO television show? There's a lot in here. Uh, so the first thing I want to talk about is I think the price, right? It's, 
sure there's a conversation to be had about like what is value and you can't point at a game and necessarily say that's worth seventy dollars it's worth sixty dollars but as a consumer i'd argue you can you get to decide what you find is worth the number you're willing to pay right and for you and i seventy dollars is too much for this um especially when i read about it having literally almost no gameplay changes to have it mirror what we saw the evolution of the game being in last of us 2 where it's Mm -hmm. a lot more visual and obviously this is being very general about the changes they made to the game um they didn't just move up the the you know the visual detail slider and then port it um but i do think that's an issue and i think pricing has been an issue for playstation whether you're talking about the price increase of the console recently which we talked about uh, you know, you talk about the $70 in general for games, which is tough. You talk about PS Plus and how the tiers are weird and the, the value you get from them. There's a lot of pricing issues with PlayStation, and I think this is just another one of them. We kind of had the similar discussion way back when uh, Spider-Man Remastered was announced, right? So there, I think just making it a bit cheaper is an easy solution and kind of lessens the blow for people. Especially because, would you agree, Dom, that the packaged both games is all but inevitable? Yeah, because The Last of Us Part Two never got an, an official PS5 version. So I think they they patched the PS4 version so that it could you know run at a higher frame rate or something on PS5s. But that's it. So it feels likely that that will that game will get an actual PS5 skew with like a handful of tiny improvements um probably some of the new oh, a lot of the stuff they already have in that game so it, it probably won't be even anything like the improvements they've made like beyond this game or you, you get what i'm saying so that feels like probably come it, with the beta access right to factions like the multiplayer game uh, that'd yeah. be a, a good that'd be interesting yeah i could see that um but then yeah p- I don't even. They probably put it together. Yeah, why not? Um, one box or one skew, whatever they want to do with that. That feels likely. That the to the extent of which they've milked this first game, um, there's there's still a little bit left in the udder for the second game. Well, and I think that's a conversation in general is that it feels like PlayStation is milking Last of Us for all it can, which is a bit of a bummer. Uh, because I think the the more they do that, the less special it becomes overall. At least from my perspective. Um, and I'm not. Know, I don't, yeah, I, I'm not quite to that yet. Only because they're not milking it by like, uh, what, what I in my head I visualize it as like, I don't know, like flattening it out, like just extending it in every direction. They're milking it for like every dollar of what already exists. But it's not like there's a new Last of Us game every second going off every side character, stuff like that. That's when I get like more worried about the quality yeah. of the stories and stuff. But So, yeah, that's interesting because for me, I, I am more worried about, and obviously I'm going to be very, very much generalizing. I'm more worried about a game being released with no changes and at them asking for the same amount of money. That's more milking to me than them potentially releasing a spin-off game that isn't good. Uh obviously if it gets like multiple spin-off games and it's just they're making games and make games, that's one thing. But to me it's worrisome. Like this is it's milking with less effort in my opinion. And I know that sounds hyperbolic because yeah. it is, but it's yeah. like I'd much rather be mad that they're milking it and that they're making a spin-off game that is bad than them releasing a game that's visually upgraded but changes almost nothing about the actual game. That to me is more worrisome. And I don't put as much pressure on Naughty Dog because even through interviews and stuff, you it's kind of obvious that Neil Druckmann isn't the one behind this. Not saying he's against it necessarily because he likes people to experience the story his team made, but I'm not holding it necessarily against Naughty Dog. You know, I don't think Naughty Dog was the one that was hammering home, let's do a PS5 version of The Last of Us 1. I think PlayStation presented them with probably the budget and the project opportunity and Neil and his team thought about it. Oh, it's cool. Let's do it. But I don't think they were necessarily the ones like, this is a must do for us. You know, so, so I, don't, I, don't, I don't really blame them that much. I'm trying to remember, and I might be wrong on this, but PlayStation had that support studio who I thought, like one of Schreier's reports said that 
the support studio had this idea and they had already started working on it at least yeah. to get a demo created and they showed sony they showed playstation and playstation said yeah that's great but we're gonna have naughty <laughs> dog finish it, which yeah. is like okay naughty dog maybe i i think you're probably right where it didn't seem like when he was talking about neil Druckmann wasn't like he was trying really hard to like sell all the improvements on it and frankly the the extent of which they've been doing that uh i think is telling when they have to explain in great detail like, over explain yeah each each like little thing they improved on which like yeah i know a lot of work went into it um and all that kind of stuff but like they're really doing their best to try to justify the price and that i think that tells you a lot they're, instead of just putting something out there like how much of that is going to happen for god of war ragnarok hardly probably i doubt much of anything we'll get one really good state of play that explains some new systems and then then you're gonna put it out there and that thing's just gonna sell right they're just gonna let it talk for itself instead of having to do too much of the selling yeah and i think obviously i think this game is still going to sell very well but i do think it's a bit of a miss to have it release in this place where i think it could exponentially sell even more because i think we one one thing that often gets missed in conversations about game purchases is like not everybody can purchase dozens of games each year like it is a very much a mm -hmm. hobby that requires a substantial amount of uh side income you know what i mean uh so with god of war ragnarok on the horizon it's like would i spend 70 dollars on that or 70 dollars on a visual improvement of a game that if you're excited yeah. for god of war ragnarok likely you already own last of us anyways you know what i mean so it's like which one do you spend money on? I think it's pretty obvious, right? So, and I think like, I think the biggest problem because the seventy dollars specifically versus like sixty dollars thing that's obviously like a a Sony a PlayStation wide problem that like, I mean to us it's a problem. I don't know how it's how well it's working out for them or not, but I think like separating like kind of ignoring that part of it. I think this is just simply too close. It's just too soon yeah. because if there wasn't just a remaster on the previous generation like these conversations about because to me this is clearly a remake like very clearly but from how they've described like what the work they put into it that's like that's what i envision remake is mostly a marketing term anyway but like it's just because the previous versions are so recent that it doesn't feel as much like a remake you know and so that's a fair thing to, to question whereas i think if the ps4 remastered version never existed and this was instead of remake of a ps3 game much like uh demon souls which also sold for 70 dollars and was the same exact game a few minor system changes but otherwise it just looked better um same exact thing but this conversation didn't happen at, at all with demon souls when that was remade so i think that's like the biggest problem that they have with this i still think it's too much money even in that case like $70 for Demon's Souls is um, it's a little bit longer of a game, so it's a little easier to swallow. So I think I think that, and also the other problem with it is it's less content. The remastered and the original games both had the factions multiplayer mode, which is still going on today in the remastered version. Maybe even the PS3 one, I'm not sure about that. It couldn't be, that's too old. But like, you're all of this on top of that, but and we're not getting the multiplayer mode that the free the ps plus remastered version you can get today does include it like so you you're paying more for less content it looks better sure but yeah i, I think those are kind of the two biggest it, problems for me is like it's the, the recency to the previous version and the lack of including the multiplayer mode that was in the previous version like it's i, I can't stand by that in any sense I, and to compare it to something that I think is near and dear to us, I think it'd be the equivalent of if it was if Bluepoint did a visual update to the remake, uh, of the remaster of the original Dark Souls because that came out a few years ago, right? If they they released that this year and it was a visually updated version of Dark Souls remastered, and it was selling for seventy dollars, I would also have an issue with it because yes. to your point. Right. It's a game that's getting visually restored, but it isn't even that mm -hmm. old. But say Whereas, they did that, then cut out the multiplayer. Exactly. That's even a better point. Yeah, because this doesn't even have factions in it, right? Yeah. So yeah, it's it's just one of those like stepping on a rake moments that could have totally been avoided. And the most frustrating thing is that like 
all of this takes away from the work that Naughty Dog did on this game because it is impressive. Yeah. I do think when you see them yeah. side by side, it's just it's tough. Like if I was a kid growing up, Dom, and I'm like, fine, I'll just buy this because I want to I want to see these visual updates. I'd cross my fingers and hope that my parents read my Christmas list of wanting God of War <laughs> Ragnarok and they got it for me. Um, because when you put them side by side, this version of this game being released in God of War Ragnarok, like I think it's pretty easy to determine which one most people are oh, going to yeah. want to spend $70 on. And that doesn't take away from the quality of Last of Us Part 1. Like We all know how good that game is. It's just, it's a bummer. And it's clear because the Metacritic scores are showing that too, that despite it being the same game virtually, there's just so many things surrounding it that don't mm -hmm. make it as celebrated as it could have been. Uh, maybe not should, but definitely could have been. So it's a bummer. It just, ugh, it just and irritates I, me. Cause, ugh. And they know all this, right? Like they certainly had many conversations about all this stuff, right? And at the end of the day, to me, I feel like they justified it like with ego. And that that's what I think maybe bothers me the most and where like I And do spreadsheets. Wonder, I don't know. I, I we maybe we'll see. I hope that it I hope that it doesn't sell I hate saying something like that. <laughs> I don't <laughs> want to say that. You know what I mean? I hope that they get the message that this was the wrong way to do it, I guess. And that they don't blame Naughty Dog themselves necessarily, right? That's a, a better way to word it instead of I hope it sells shit or you know. Um but it just feels like all this stuff they considered all of it, and then at the end of the day, they said, well, it's The Last of Us. It's, like, the great, one of the greatest games of all time, so, like, we could do it. it. For any other game, we wouldn't be able to do this. We wouldn't get away with it, but it's The Last of Us, so we can do it. And that's what I think, like, it really irks me about it. Because um, they're not, they might not be wrong, we'll see again, but even if you're right, like, don't do that. Don't be like that, you know? Yeah. I mean, Jim I Ryan, unfortunately, hasn't shown us that he's going to act any way different than that, unfortunately. The, 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 the tough thing, too, is, like, between the PlayStation 5 price increase and this, man, they are so lucky yeah. that God of War Ragnarok is coming out this year. <laughs> because if that game wasn't coming out till next year and we didn't get, like, a PlayStation showcase or something this year, it would just continuously build onto it of itself. But they kind of have a scapegoat in God of War Ragnarok that it's going to kind of win back a lot of goodwill with people because I highly doubt that game is anything short of incredible. So yeah. it's just a bummer. And now me and you have to wait for a price decrease. Just sit here waiting because I'm not going to give in. Not yeah, I, I'm not either. I'm holding, I'm sticking to it. I mean, this is going to be on YouTube of me saying it. So like, I can't, uh, I can't be one of those people in the Call of Duty group that you go in their Steam activity. <laughs> yeah, I just, <laughs> this is the part of the podcast on YouTube where I uh, <laughs> Photoshop in a picture of it says you playing it on PS5. <laughs> just, like, <laughs> yeah, go back in and like have me like painting myself with the clown makeup or whatever. <laughs> yeah. Oh yeah. They'll just Photoshop you into the thing. Oh man. What's, I had a tweet like that. It was like me whenever I buy Madden and NBA 2K every year. That's so funny. <laughs> picture of a clown. Um, let's get into what we've been playing. Uh, have you, I'm assuming you haven't dove into Cult of the Lamb yet, right? No, I got some other cool stuff you'd like to hear about though. Okay. So I only have one game of note to talk about. The first one isn't really a big note, but I hopped back into MTG Arena, Magic the Gathering Arena, mm -hmm. having a blast with it. I was just having an itch to play a card game. Magic the Gathering is my card game of choice. Having fun with it. Um, I've talked about Magic tons on this podcast in years past, but the best thing about that game is that you can cater decks to however you want to play, and there's cards that fit play styles and certain things you want to do. So recently, during the last standard block, which is like they rotate in and out cards to use for like competitive play, just because like some stuff can become super overpowered and it helps change the meta of the game, so it's always refreshing every couple of months, Dom. Uh, the most recent uh, standard season, I was running a life gain deck. It's green and white. Green usually has cards about like growth or empowering your creatures, and white is usually spawning a bunch of creatures on the board or uh, healing yourself. So it was just a deck where like I had creatures that would get stronger when you healed yourself. So not only are you getting more health, but your creatures are getting stronger. So it's kind of annoying to deal with. So that was pretty fun. Um, but the game I wanted to talk about is a new Game Pass entry. I've still been playing Cult of the Lamb. But like I said, I want to wait to talk about that game with you until you play it. Um, but have you heard of Tinykin? No. So Tinykin, T-I-N-Y-K-I-N, is a new Game Pass title. And I saw it come to Game Pass. And then I saw Jeff Grubb from Gamesby and a lot of other people, uh, Matt Piscatello from uh, the MPD group, talking about the game and how fun it was. 
And then I looked it up and I saw the art style and I was like, oh, this is cool. It's like very Paper Mario-ish where it's like the world is 3D, but the characters are 2D. Um, and it's very bright, colorful, cartoony art style. And it functions like Pikmin. So essentially the game revolves around you collecting these little tiny kins, I believe. That's why it's called Tiny Kin. Uh, and the different colored ones do different things. So the pink ones are general purpose where you throw them at stuff. You have, you throw a bunch of them at something to move the object. Uh, there's red ones that explode on contact. And there's objects around these open levels that have you needing to gather different versions of these characters to use to solve puzzles. And there's also like a collectathon aspect of certain items or uh, objectives you have to accomplish. I've only played about 40 minutes of it. I'm on the first level. Uh, it takes place in basically a giant human house, but you're a tiny person. And the story talks about how like you are actually humans from a different planet and you want to find out where humans originate from. So it's, it's looks like a really fun concept. The gameplay is really fun. It's simple. It's totally one of those games where you can listen to a podcast and play it. Uh, it's fun to go around and experiment and find the different types of kins and figure out what each of them do. Um, there's like creatures you run into that you need to, need to uh, solve specific uh, puzzles. It's really fun. I'm having a blast with it. Um, I was not expecting to like it as much as I did. And it just feels to me like the classic PS2 licensed games, but in the best of ways. Uh, just a fun platformer. Uh, having a blast with it. Uh, yeah, I'm watching some like gameplay and stuff uh, as we speak, and you got a pretty accurate description. I, I'm a, like, there's something about when you're small and you're in a kid's bedroom, or, like okay, you're like jumping on these guitar strings and down the the call that the shaft of the guitar. What do you call that? The... I'm not a musician. You're asking the wrong person. <laughs> it's got to be a better anyway. Yeah, I, there's something cool about anytime the you're neck? small. The neck that feels like it makes more sense. Yeah, yeah, um, yeah. Th this looks really cool. I, I again, I like when you're small. I don't know. <laughs> it's a wonder I haven't tried out grounded yet. Um, and then I see the Pikmin elements you're talking about. Those little little things following you around. And yeah, this does look cool. This is interesting. And whenever you get introduced to new characters or mechanics of the game, there's these short animated segments that honestly, if uh, this developer wants to. I think they can make a really fun animated show out of it, even if it's like internet shorts, because they're really engaging and fun, and they're really good at expressing the character. So it's a good time, and it's on Game Pass, so worth the risk, 100%. Mm -hmm. I it's Honestly, so cool. it's very early, but I think if it continues to build on the stuff it's having me do, it'll probably end up in my top 10 for the year. Like That's really how much I'm enjoying this game, and I'm only 40 minutes in. Obviously, I mean, things could change or could get stale, but so far I'm having a blast. I'm watching like a, like a montage of gameplay and like there's a lot of different shit going on, like a lot of different types of puzzles and like ways to interact with the little guys. Um, uh, so I feel like if you're if you're only 40 minutes in, I feel like there's a lot more to build uh, based on what I'm seeing. And if anything gives me Toy Story vibes, it immediately wins me over. Like you that's said, being a tiny of. person in a big yeah. house. Yeah, that's what Just it felt like. So nostalgic. And then like just on toy story when like they set up the like hot wheels ramp and buzz is like flying through that or like on the thing and he's flying through the air and he hits the baby uh carousel thing and spins around that's what this feels like like except it's puzzles and um, yeah this cool. is the toy story where grounded is to honey i shrunk the kids and both of them are just like yeah hit me in the nostalgia ah okay i forgot about honey i shrunk the kids too that's yeah okay no i'm i might poke, poke around on this too not man i love game pass dude i can't even I, I, it's definitely <laughs> worth it, Dom. Just download it and have, check it out. It's yeah. fun. Um, uh, anything else? No, that's pretty much it. Obviously, uh, House of the Dragon is good. Don't want to spend too much time on TV. <laughs> uh, yeah, that's pretty much it. Man, and House of the Dragon, like, it's another good episode, and things are moving fast, and I'm, like, interested. And then we're getting into this past episode, and, like, I, like, audibly gagged and almost puked on myself when they introduced the the princess that they wanted him to marry and she's like oh 10 yeah years old. they're like because they talk about her right and he's like she's kind of young and so in my head i'm thinking it's probably like a teenager right but and then he's talking to her all of a sudden i'm like 
That's not her, right? That's a 10-year-old. <laughs> they showed her in the Game previous episode when they were watching the jousting. They showed oh, her okay. and her brother sitting underneath their parents. So when the next episode oh. happened, I was like, no. <laughs> okay. It had to be somebody we didn't see. And I was like, nope. Yeah. Which, sadly, like, obviously, House of the Dragon and Game of Thrones isn't historically accurate. But certain aspects of it are things that happen in real life and that's one of them and it's just ugh, so gross yeah it did not make me it's they're going really hard into the terrifying things well anyway the cool thing is when you find out that there's going to be a 10-year jump in the show which i'm excited about i did not know that Ooh, that's not a spoiler either that's public knowledge okay. uh yeah so obviously this show takes place hundreds of years specifically what 172 years before Daenerys Targaryen yeah, was born. That sounds right, yeah. So people are wondering, like, well, the, the show's going to be multiple seasons, but how are they going to handle it getting to modern day? You know what I mean by modern day uh, in Game of Thrones? Mm-hmm. Uh, and, yeah, apparently there's going to be a 10-year jump, which makes sense because when I was looking at the IMDb for the show months ago, I was like, why is there two people cast as this person, or did they recast it? Turns out that, like, yeah, the actresses oh, sure. for uh, Rhaenyra and... Um, the Hightower girl, I forget her name, Alicent. I think that's right. Yeah, it's because it's. Uh, I thought it was Allison naturally, but yeah, it's Alicent. The C and E. <laughs> yeah, so apparently there's going to be a ten year jump at some point in the season. I don't know when. It could be the second to last episode of the finale. But then that yeah, we're going to lose the current actresses, which is a shame because they're both phenomenal. And then we're mm-hmm. going to get the new actresses. I didn't realize that. Um, shoot, what else? So, speaking of Game Pass, I finally got around to playing Inside, and it was a cool, dark, creepy puzzle game, and then and then I got to the end, and what the hell was that? Uh, <laughs> oh, the amorphous being, right? Yeah, I didn't really see it going quite that way. Um, I, it just was like, because you don't really know probably like a lot of people have already played it inside but like it's really cool and it felt like kind of like a handmaid's tale or something super dystopian where like everyone is trying to capture you for like some kind of experiments that you start to see going on as you progress through the levels and stuff and like everyone's in on it but then yeah you (laughs) get to like the end of the game and you just unleash this chamber with this giant amorphous human blob which is limbs hanging out the sides and and then you finally just start it was kind of satisfying though because you just get to start trucking through walls and like over top of these annoying guards and stuff and squishing people and the most hilarious part was um you come up to like someone's office as this amorphous blob that's really large and there's like one executive guy at his desk and he starts to get scared and he backs up to his window which is on his whole wall as a window and you just roll right through him in probably like a hundred foot drop and he is right there to cushion your fall, and he just splats underneath you. And I laughed when that happened. <laughs> Jesus, this game is so wild. Um, well, that's the thing, then, right? Is it, yeah. it, it ramps up in its craziness towards the end, and then yeah. there's just the ending that's like very somber and quiet, and you mm-hmm. kind of like are introspective of like, you know, you just it, it ramps up so quickly to where like you're this kid, and then you you become this amorphous being. And you're destroying everything in your path, and then you quietly just reside on this beach, and it's like, what now? I just like caused all of this, and like, what's the fate of this thing now? Like, after all of the adrenaline is gone, what's left is like depressing and sad, and like the reality of the whole situation. It's just like, ugh. yeah, no, that's how I kind of felt like because it was like ramping up, and I'm like, yeah, I'm out, I escaped. I don't know what to do as this thing now, but then he just kind of parks it and i'm like oh am i dead no he's still moving he's still breathing can't can't control him anymore is the game over what's going on and it just felt like yeah i was like weird like yeah i guess i guess this is the end but so what i yeah it was weird um i don't know how i feel about it entirely um but that's good right because art is supposed to make you feel and it might not make you feel anything specific but the fact that you are thinking about and you are unsure Honestly, yeah. it's very similar to how I felt at the end of Last of Us Part Two. It's just yes, you're full of emotion, but you don't necessarily know what emotions you are feeling or what mm-hmm. you should feel. Or what but to do you with just it. feel something. <laughs> you know what yeah. I mean? Yeah. Um, and it was been a few days since I finished it, and I still am thinking about it every like like a little bit each day. Like, oh, this, 
so uh, and the boy with the long hair is so haunting underwater oh the water creature yeah i don't know what the, yeah uh, there's cool stuff though like cool elements with the puzzles and how they it was a very clever game the gameplay was really good too um in addition to all the weirdness so yeah i really enjoyed inside it was a really cool game um, it was a good evolution of you played limbo right way back when never, never played limbo you should play Limbo. I don't know if it's on Game Pass, uh, but it's also really good. Uh, that one has a... It's a more definitive ending than this one, but it is still rather obtuse, because that's just like Play Dead's thing. Mm-hmm. Uh, but that game is really good, too. Inside feels like it's more about the environment. The puzzles are still really well designed and stuff, but it, that one feels like it's trying to more to immerse you in the world, whereas Limbo is much more simplistic and having you focus on the puzzles if that makes sense still does good world building but it's clearly the first game and inside was the evolution i'm glad you finally played it though yeah i finally got around to it um that's been on the shame list for a while um i also put a little bit more time into unsighted and i freaking i I love it man like um i had started it and i briefly talked about it um i can't remember if i was on the show last week or it was just to you but I'm like, oh yeah, I really love the art style. The combat's pretty fun. Um, it's kind of like Hyper Light Drifter, but there's dialogue <laughs> um, and that kind of stuff. But then it, it opens up and, and there's a town and there's shops. And then, oh, I have to go into these five different dungeons to collect these five different pieces of this thing so I can win. And I'm like, oh yeah, we got ourselves a 2D Zelda game here. And it... That's really what I what I'm. It's Hyper Light Drifter mixed with the 2D Zelda game, and I'm all about it. Um, and it feels super smooth. It's it's difficult too, like just the right amount of difficult. It feels a bit um, kind of like Death's Door, in that sense where like it was challenging but not like stupidly so. Um, it's kind of like that. So I'm I'm looking forward to playing this game more because I'm still only a few hours in. Um, but yeah, like really again game pass um otherwise i wouldn't have found this or known of it heard of it, anything so i'm really happy with it's It's called unsighted again absolutely recommend it um, unless something drastic changes by the end of it but i'm loving it the shit out of it let's change the bet so we're both committed to a game pass game so if i lose instead of the better call solid thing we could do that on a future bet if i haven't started it by then let's do unsighted so if you win i have to play unsighted and then you're obviously backbone and, and unpacking, depending on how that goes. Because right. I, like I do it. have, I have unsighted downloaded, but it's it's there. It's downloaded, yeah. you know? So this will give me a reason. So we'll do that. We'll switch it up. Uh, lastly, before we head out, uh, you told me you enjoyed Prey. Oh, man, that's right. Yeah, I watched Prey on Hulu. Um, I've never watched a, an alien movie or a Predator or an Alien vs. Predator movie or any of that stuff. I have no idea. Um, I know of the Predator that, like, he hunts things, people, right? Um, and that, and like what he looked like. That's about all I knew. And so this was more than anything, just absolutely badass. Um, I don't watch all that many like action movies. Um, Same. So I'm not like th- th- actually the last action movie I watched. Speaking of Better Call Saul was called Nobody with Bob Odenkirk. And oh yeah. It was so dumb and corny, and it made me think of like. And I love Bob Odenkirk, but I was just like, is this like what action movies are? Like all those Jason Statham movies and all that kind of stuff. I'm like, I, I just was like, ah. now I'm reminded like why I don't really watch this kind of stuff so much anymore. Um, but anyway, this this movie, Prey, was just absolutely badass because we had to start. We just have like like a native tribe. I don't know where we are in the world. I don't remember if it says or not, but like what look like, you know, like Native Americans, like bow and arrows and spears and shit like that and then they're hunting um a lion i think at the beginning and of course the predator like they don't even know he's just invisible which i'm like and it just cuts this snake in half down the middle and and is just ripping apart wolves and just having his way with everything else um in this forest or whatever i'm like these people are gonna get their shit rocked by this guy <laughs> like predator is an absolute beast just unstoppable and like hunting and I don't know. And of course that largely is what happens. Um, but then to have um, what seemed like Frenchmen or someone Europeans or whatever, trying to like colonize or whatever the heck they're doing. 
coming into and, and they play a role um uh kind of a thing i don't know it just like it's just really cool um great ending it's not like anything too shocking of how it ends but um the the two main characters like the girl and what i think was her older brother i'm not sure um he was great too uh just like like the shit they did though like obviously i mentioned like they're using bow and arrows and like really primitive stuff but like they have like this war cry um that like in in almost any context i would think is silly and a joke and it's like someone like you know being racist in a dumb halloween costume that was shot you know what i mean but it was so badass like when he when the older brother character is like riding around on his horse basically kind of circling the predator and just was just shouting this fucking scream and it was like i was like oh dude this is awesome i've never like i don't know uh totally not my type of movie typically but uh i was fully bought in this is cool as hell um and it ends you know again not in a too shocking of a way but like certainly we could do more here and uh i'll be in if they uh they do more of this kind of stuff for sure it was so cool yeah the calls are cool because it reminds me of whenever you see um like samoans or tongans forgive me if it's only one specific type of pacific islander uh, that do the haka, you know, like they sometimes will do it before like a sporting event, like a rugby match or a football game. Have you seen that? No, Where they all line up and they do like the uga taka and they like do all the, the arm okay. movements and like the shouting. That's so cool. And yeah. yeah, to your point too, it's like whenever you hear these parts of these cultures, it's just like, oh, it's so primal and like, I don't know, it's awesome. Uh, one of the things with the lead actress, Amber Midthunder, which by the way, dope name, um, she... There's this idea of them possibly making Wolverine indigenous in the MCU, which I think is a really cool idea um, based on how the characters from the Canadian wilderness, Logan, but, it, you know, there's obviously a lot of indigenous tribes up there. And uh, it's also unsure if they're going to do the male version being Logan or the female Wolverine being Laura Kinney. And people are saying if they decide to do the indigenous female Wolverine, that she should be up for the role. And I agree. I would love to have her in the MCU. She's a phenomenal actress. The fact that she can do so much with so little dialogue. There's a version of this movie, Dom, where you can watch it all with Comanche language, which is like an indigenous language, Comanche, uh, which they, that's not a typical subtitle, right, for uh, for movies. So it's it really nice that they did that here. I mean, exactly. Like there's there's not that much speaking in general. Uh, you said yeah, there's not that much dialogue, and like you could in the Frenchman, you don't know what they're saying most of the time. Um, uh, but yeah, oh, that was the other thing. It felt like it was made for like they do when they do speak, it's in English, but it's like kind of like, like implied. Like obviously they're not speaking English, they wouldn't be most exactly. Right? Yeah, and that's kind of I can't remember how, but like that made sense in my head. I was like, but they just they just basically made this in English for me. <laughs> <laughs> exactly yeah but they're not they would uh, be speaking english here yeah and i love the parallels they draw between like there's a point where she finds all of the dead buffalo on the plains yes. and your immediate thought is i can't believe the predator killed all these things like, yeah and then she finds like a, a cigar and you're like oh this isn't the predator it's the right. actual predators of the land the colonists mm -hmm. uh there's so many cool aspects of it the way she gets revenge on the french colonist for her brother yeah. Uh, and that whole scene is brutal. Um, it's just very well shot. Even though the movie doesn't have a huge budget, everything looks good. Uh, the Predator was shot all practically. They hired this like seven foot tall actor and did all the prosthetics and it looks phenomenal. Um, I love. So in the lore, what I found out is that the way the Predators, whenever they land somewhere new, their whole job is to find the apex predator, Dom. And that's yeah. why like, throughout the movie, at the point where he kills the snake, he watches like the. What is it? The rat eats the bug. The snake eats the rat. It's just going up and the food he, chain. Yeah, and then he kills the snake, and then he kills the wolf, and then the bear fight is sick by the beaver dam, which I thought was so well done. And the and dog, like, and, the dog chasing away the bear and everything. It's like, oh no. And when she figures that out, and she like basically lets the one uh, colonizer guy kind of like target her just so that the predator would go after him instead of her. Yeah, she says something clever about it. I can't remember what, but I'm like, ah, yeah, I, I knew she would be able to like outsmart this thing uh, eventually because uh, you have to because he's just so physically dominant and has all these tools. But <laughs> well, and then the whole thing about her going, I forgot what the actual ritual is called, but in order to become like the, the village warrior, you have to go out and kill something that could easily kill you. So that's mm -hmm. where they originally got to kill the mountain lion. 
she doesn't get it her brother does later on he tells her the way he killed it is the way she told him to kill it her right. strategy mm-hmm. and her version of that is killing the predator which is really cool such a good movie and like that's the cool thing is it's not bi- like sure like you said there's enough narrative meat there to build on it but they don't need to and yeah. it works uh, on its own me and you who have very little prior knowledge of the series it works it's not a long film like i said it's not a huge budget film but it is good and it's just ah oh, so good i think that's it for this week's show uh next week we're either recording on the 8th or the 9th which i don't know when those presentations are happening so we might have information on what happened at the disney one or we might not uh other than that yeah we're probably going to be talking about i'll probably be talking about tinykin you'll probably have some more insight to talk about and all that good stuff and, uh, yeah, we'll catch you guys next time. If you can, please follow us on YouTube, Controlled Interest. Search us up, subscribe, like the video, uh, and comment. Let us know if you're excited for The Last of Us Part 1 or if you're holding out for a sale like we are. Uh, on Twitter, you can find us, collective.ctrl.int. It's Controlled Interest, abbreviated. You can follow Dom at Kenobi, but the O and OB is the number zero, not the letter O. And I'm at Jared Weich, J-E-R-R-A-D-W-Y-C-H-E. Other than that, check us out on the podcast services, whether that's Spotify, Google Play, Apple Podcasts, all that stuff. And we'll see you guys next time.